of the Women's Cycling Weekly podcast. I'm Amy and this is Jilda. Hello, how are you? How am I or how are the listeners? Uh, how are you, Amy? <laughs> is that a rhetorical question? Since they listeners? can't answer back. <laughs> how am I? How honest should I be about how I am right now? It's not getting us off to a good start, is it? Well, <laughs> all right. Seeing as we're all friends here, I did go out last night and I'm feeling slightly worse for wear today, but I am here doing this podcast, so commitment to the cause, you know? we're all committed around here um anyway so as promised for a long time it feels like we've been teasing this interview for weeks now um we have a very special guest on the pod um Freya North which you already know who it was from the many many times we've mentioned it but uh Tilda tell us a little bit about Freya so Freya is an author who has written 15 books so far um and and we want to talk about one of her early books which is called cat and it's about a um a cycling journalist well she's not really a cycling journalist she gets thrown into the world of cycling journalism when she's sent to cover the tour de france um and yeah it's a book that me and you both love i must shout out my mum for recommending me the book and she's very happy that i love it so much um and yeah, it was really interesting to speak to Freya about uh, writing the book, but also about her own life um, as a cyclist. So yeah, if you haven't read it, then you should read it. But I think this is an interesting interview, um, even if you are yet to read it. And if you are yet to read it, or even if you have already read it and love it, stay tuned for to the end of this podcast. Till the end of this podcast? Yes. Stay tuned till the end of this podcast. Uh, for details on how to get your hands on a signed copy. Um, But before we get into all that, before we talk to Freya, um, let's just take a look at the week in women's cycling. What are the top lines? Uh, First of all, Lorena Weaver's won again, which isn't really news anymore, ever, (laughs) because she does it so much. It was the last race of the season for her, last race in DSM colours. She's moving to SD Works next year, as we all know. And to be honest, that win again just cemented for me the fact that she is the sprinter and I'll honestly die on this hill she's the only pure sprinter in the peloton um it was a bit of a random it wasn't like the most prestigious race to end on it was what was it even called Tilda began with B uh Banch Banch oh that pronunciation that's why I asked you to do that (laughs) part um so 1.1 in Belgium um and yeah she took the honors and afterwards there was a bit of an incident or Kind of this was floating all around Twitter, a video of a very handsy official um, who just kept like pawing at her after the finish for no apparent reason, despite her obviously looking uncomfortable and asking him to stop. Um, so, yeah, but we won't let that dampen the fact that she won again. And that makes it 24 wins out of 50 something starts, I think it was, something like that. So, like, pretty good rate for her. Um, The other thing I want to kind of just mention as a bit of kind of news, kind of not, I mean, the main headline that goes with this is that Marta Bastianelli has said that she's going to carry on racing, even though she, her daughter previously said she was going to retire. And she kind of joins now 
like a long list or a growing list of riders who have kind of made noises that they're going to retire and then turned around and actually changed their minds like we had Chantal van der Black say that um which she explicitly said was down to the fact that there's now maternity leave for women um Ashley Mormon Passio was meant to be retiring and then now she's running for next year and now Bastinelli we said I had added Anamique to this list however she's now she's flip-flopping she's not really she said definitely I'm retiring then she kind of said like oh maybe maybe not and then recently she said again that she's definitely retiring but TBD on that front I reckon yeah it just seems like uh with the sport growing year on year no one's quite ready to give up and I think it with new races and new events every year we're not quite getting to the point where riders look at the next season and it's all races they've already done so I think everyone is kind of thinking oh I want to carry on a little bit longer I mean even Lizzie Dignan said before uh she had her first baby that she would come back for Yorkshire Worlds and then didn't think she might carry on for that much longer and look at her now and I just think yeah when you have all these races and you feel if you still feel good and and you still have a place on a team why give it up yeah for sure I mean it's great and it means that we don't lose some of the best riders in the peloton early just because they feel like they have to give up their career or choose between their career and either starting a family or whatever that might be or that you know it also shows that the way the women's world tour has grown it's more appealing to carry on and race races like the Tour de France Femme so we love to see it great news speaking of that sort of thing like the growth of the women's world tour uh, the next big news is the battle or one that's been kind of made out to be a battle, but in the end, I don't think it actually will be one for the final Women's World Tour license for 2023. Um, Lacole, Wahoo, uh, Next G through the Hat into the Ring and Sarah Tizit, WNT were amongst the front, run- front runners for that, but... Um, that was before Plantia Pura came out and said that actually they, they've they also applied, which means they're the second highest ranked continental team below Valcar, who obviously aren't going for their license. So as long as they meet all the additional requirements, like the financial ones and ethical ones and all of that, which I don't see why they wouldn't, looks like Plantia Pura are going to be the next World Tour team on the block next year. Yeah, I think that would be really good to see. They're a team that are good at developing riders and have a lot of riders coming through. And yeah, we will wait until December for the official confirmation on who gets that final spot. Which I can't believe they have to wait that long to find out. And, you know, yeah. everyone's kind of hanging around, waiting to know what their calendar's going to look like, their kit even. Like, I don't understand why it takes so long. Why can't they just move the process? I suppose they have to wait for all the points and... Yeah, actually, I'm not even going to talk about it. I don't know what I'm talking about with that. So, yeah, I'm going to stop moaning. But still, if I was a rider and I didn't know what I was doing in January, in December, I'd be like, oh, my God. Um, But, yeah, anyway, looks like they're going to be the ones to move up. And it's just really good to see a lot of teams that can provide the environment to head to the Women's World Tour. Like, it's kind of a weird one because, like, it would have been better off almost if this was a situation last year when there were uh more licenses available and in the end it seemed like I mean we've got world women's world tour teams that are kind of not only world tour teams in in name um you wrote about that in the additional content this week Tilda kind of when you talked about 
everyone is still looking for a win. So, yeah, I guess next year will be the time for those other teams to move up and we'll see everything keep growing, which is great. Um, more UCI regulation, World Tory things. Uh, the next bit of news is that the UCI have updated the regulations um, around the Women's World Tour. Uh, there's quite a few different, like, nitpicky things in there that we could get into but we aren't going to because we don't have time and I want to go and eat um (laughs) but basically the top lines are um there's going to be maternity cover the logistics of which are a little bit vague like not entirely sure it's got to be a rider who's not got a contract which is a bit like how how does that really work because most riders who would fit that role would already have a contract you would imagine um but interesting still I think it's good that they've introduced that for the teams give people some opportunities um also the and this has got to be a direct reaction to the incident with human powered health in the Tour de France Femme um they're also allowing for multiple vehicles well two vehicles for um world tour stages of world tour races stage races of six stages or more oh my god no well, world tour races of six stages or more, um, which, yeah, if anyone doesn't know, uh, Barbara Malcotti in the Tour de France Femme was disqualified from the whole race because uh, the team car was on the way back from the break where they had a rider and she was serviced by the car at the front of the peloton, which kind of, yeah, in the end, boiled down to the fact that there was just one car for everybody in that race, which, yeah. So that's good. Makes sense. Moving on. Um, also, there's going to be um, more development structure. Basically, there's going to be um, the possibility for World Tour teams to have development teams that directly feed into the World Tour teams, um, which kind of unofficially happens with some teams already. But um, now it's going to be like a, a proper structure like they have on the men's side. Um, is there anything I missed? Any big things? Um, I think the expansion of team sizes to 22. If teams have two Neo Pro riders, they can have uh, them as an addition to the 20 riders they're already allowed, which could make a difference. Um, there is some debate around that because some teams teams don't really get close to having 20 at the moment because there aren't necessarily that the number of good riders. But in the future, that could definitely come into play in yeah, more races, bigger ride, uh, bigger rider rosters. Uh, that will definitely help teams to kind of tackle what is a very growing sport. So that's UCI updates. Uh, if you want to see uh, more detail on those, there's a few articles that went up over the last few days, actually properly outlining them. Savoche did a really good one for Bello News. Um, yeah. And the last bit of news coming out of this week is that Magnus Baxter is going to be a... DS for Canyon from next year. Canyon yeah, Sam. this is exciting. Uh, Canyon Saram have a history of having um, male expos as their DS. They had Eric Zabel on the team. Um, so yeah, that'll be an exciting one. It'll be interesting to see how he gets along DSing against both his two daughters who are now in the World Tour, but I'm sure that will not affect his job too much. Okay, and that's pretty much it for the... Those are the biggest stories. Um so far uh so let's just get into the interview with freya hope you enjoy 
Welcome to Women's Cycling Weekly, Freya North, best-selling author. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, and obviously, you've written, I think I'm right in saying around 15 novels. Um, but there's one subject that you've covered that obviously we're more interested in, which is cycling. Um mainly through the novel Cat that you wrote quite a long time ago now. Um, but before we talk about that, tell us about your own experience with cycling. Sure. So um, I wrote Cat. I mean, we, I know we're going to talk about it later, but it's quite a nice little story. So I had been um, writing away with being rejected, rejected, rejected for four years. And during that time, I wrote my first novel, Sally, and I was midway through my next novel, Chloe. Um, Everyone was rejecting me. I couldn't get an agent. And then finally, after about four years, I got an agent and I got a publishing deal. And of course, my new publishers wanted to know what else are you going to write for us? So I'd already written Sally. I was midway through Chloe. I said, oh, my third novel is going to be called Polly. And it's a teacher's exchange program between New England and England, England. And then they said, and have you got any ideas after that? And then I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to write about the Tour de France. And they all went completely blank. And I thought, oh, my God, I've got to sell it to them. I've got to sell it to them. So (laughs) I remember just sitting there with all these, you know, publishing honchos. Um, and saying to them, lashings of lycra. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I think I had them at lashings of lycra. So uh, interestingly enough, although my first two books had been published um, by the time I was researching Cat, um, it was only researching Cat that I really, it really struck me that my God, you know, I do have a bona fide publishing career because the fact that I was a published author opened doors for me and it enabled me to get, you know, an accessible areas pass to the tour two years in a row. Um, So, yeah, that's when after all those years of rejection, it wasn't so much my first two novels being published that um, made it all sink in. It was the fact that I was being enabled to research the Tour de France but I was very much an armchair cyclist um, up until then Uh, well actually up until 2017 I always loved watching cycle sport on the TV but um, for me I didn't really I mean I, I had a bike and it got nicked when I was living in London and I didn't bother replacing it Um, And then in 2017, I had back surgery and my consultant said, you should ride a bike because I was doing quite a lot of running at the time and riding horses. And he's a great cyclist himself. And he said, you should ride a bike. Well, I didn't have a bike and um, I wasn't sure what to get. But then the club that I'm a member of in town, the Groucho Club, they send out these sort of email newsletters. and. Sometimes I'd read them, sometimes I wouldn't. And literally a couple of days after I'd had that meeting with the consultant after my back surgery, this email came through saying, would any members like to join a cycling club? And before I knew it, I didn't think about it. I just replied, yes. And then um, that was in 
well, um, I went to the first meeting of that cycling club. I'd had the back surgery in March and I went to the meeting in May, early May or mid-May. And by the time I walked out of that meeting, I'd signed up to do the um, coast-to-coast ride. (laughs) And I still didn't have a bike. And I literally had not ridden a bike in 10 years, at least. And then it was only tootling around on a hybrid. So I, I had to get me a bike. And then I had to teach myself to ride it. And I tell you, never mind all the horses that I've ever ridden and been thrown off, I've never been as sort of nervous um, as I was riding my first proper road bike and um, couldn't work out the cleats at all. Um, I'm great friends. She's one of my closest friends with um, Emma O'Reilly. And I went up cycling with her where she lives. And I said to Emma, I said, I, I can't stop and I can't clip out. And she she thought that I was, you know, just, you know, joking around. And so I said, no, Emma, I can't stop and I can't get out. I can't clip out. And she just watched the way that I just sort of rather inelegantly would just choose a bush or a hedge and just like, topple (laughs) into it so she taught me she taught me pretty much all I know about riding a bike um but then yeah I did my coast to coast we went west to east so we started at Whitehaven and ended up in Tymouth and even when we were starting that ride I kept saying to myself do you know what you don't need to see any of these people again. It doesn't matter if you don't like it, just get off, just get off. You can go home, you can go home. But um, I ended up absolutely loving it. I've made the most beautiful friends. We're, you know, like family. Um, and when we came back from, from that from that epic trip, they said to me, okay, Freya, so you're now president of the Groucho Cycling Club. And I was like, what? Hang on, hang on. Firstly, I didn't know there was a president. Secondly, I haven't put myself forward. I was the only woman. And uh, so all these blokes just look at me and just shrug and they go, yeah, yeah, we know. I said, but what if I don't want to be president? And they said, well, you're very good at herding kittens. So we think you should be president. And it seemed to me that I had no say in it whatsoever. Maybe it's because I'm bossy. I don't know. But I said to them, I said, well if I'm president, does that mean I get to choose the kit? And they said, yeah, yeah, sure. I went, great, because you're all cycling in pink. So <laughs> I was... <laughs> so the, the Groucho Cycling Club, we, we always cycle in pink. And is that kind of in your nature to throw yourself into things like that? I feel like some authors just have that thing of, yeah, I'm going to really, really get involved with this to the maximum level. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when I do things, I don't do them half-heartedly. I'd rather not do something than do something half-heartedly. And the the back surgery had come, you know, quite a traumatic. I, I found the whole process quite traumatic. And there were other things going on in my life behind the scenes. And actually what um, working towards that ride did for me was it gave me real focus in, and determination and it it really as well was an incredible um focus for my my convalescence you know i could really pace myself and know that i was uh doing it for my own physical uh benefit as well it's really nice that um 
he seemed to found this community in the cycling club um and you say that you were the only woman and I think a lot of women find it intimidating because it is very much a male-dominated sport but I'm guessing it sounds like that didn't really cross your mind it didn't and actually because the the Groucho club it's not a a cycling club you know we're a cycling club within the club it's uh a members club where the people tend to come from the arts and the media. So it wasn't like one of those com- really uber competitive, um, uh, you know, local cycling clubs where everyone thinks they could have been a contender. It's basically made up of musicians and photographers and authors and, uh, you know, all sorts of quirky people, all different shapes and sizes, all different abilities. And that was what was so lovely because we were absolutely in it together and you would give someone your wheel when they were struggling and they would absolutely give you their wheel when you were struggling and there were tears and laughter and stroppy, you know, stroppy fits and all sorts. And I can't do it. And all sorts of fantastically terrible swearing that came out of my mouth. Um, But we were fueled just by this... uh, common purpose just to bloody well get from a to b none of us had done anything like it anyway i was doing it to raise funds for uh, bowel cancer uk i'm an ambassador for them and that really drove me on as well um and since then our group we've done other really big long rides we cycled from um hampton court to bordeaux raised lots of money for medecins on frontier um, we've done uh, trips uh, to Mont Ventoux and to Mallorca. Um, so it's been, it, it's really amazing going together, you know, when you get to know a group because you you put your trust and your friendship absolutely there, knowing that it really, there's always a ride for for someone in the team that's hard and you don't, know when it's going to be you you don't know when you're going to bonk but you do inevitably and then having people there for you saying you can do it come on come on you know it's just it's it's incredible it's incredible and in fact I did the Atap Caledonia last year with Emma and um, another friend of ours Tudor and whilst we were riding we came across some a lone cyclist and it's quite you know it's quite a, a hefty old ride that one um and we came across this this girl she was cycling on her own and she looked quite tired and we just started chatting to her as we rode along and it was so great to share the ride with her and she's become like a really good pal you know and to to finish it together with someone you met 40 miles ago you know halfway into the ride and she you kept her going and she kept you going and the cuddles and sharing a banana afterwards it was just really lovely and we, we've all kept in touch with her which which was great I'll tell you another funny one we did the um um god what was it called it was the um Atlantic the the Ring of Kerry Atlantic Way ride the one that Stephen Roach designed a few years ago and I did that one but I did it with um a stomach bug <laughs> a really bad stomach bug and the organisers came to me at breakfast time because I didn't know whether I'd pull out. And they said to me, here, drink this. And they gave me brandy with port at about seven in the morning while I was having <laughs> porridge. I had brandy with port. And then every time I stopped, it being Ireland, there was always a pub somewhere. 
I had brandy with port and it was amazing. It really settled, really settled my gut <laughs> and kept me going. I think I was sort of slightly pie-eyed by the end of it, but <laughs> it certainly kept me going. <laughs> Top tip for any pros out there. Yeah, brandy with port, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I'm sure that's what they were doing in the tour in like the 1940s or something. <laughs> Absolutely. They were, yeah, they'd stop for a brandy um, and a bit of strychnine sometimes. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> and I find that you know I do uh, a lot of writing a lot of a different type of writing but I find that going out for a walk walking the dog or going out for a ride is like some of the best time to really think about writing and stories and that do you find that on your bike because obviously you write a lot more than we do it's really interesting actually when I'm on my bike I don't I concentrate on the ride um when I'm running I don't run so much now um, but I used to find that running was amazing for sort of, uh, it, you know, it was so transportative and I would just go off into amazing, you know, whole thoughts about books and characters. And it, it, it was that was really a really creative thing. But when I'm on the bike, I tend to maybe it's because I'm a relatively new rider, but I just really enjoy focusing on the ride actually I really enjoy focusing on the ride and how my bike feels and yeah well on the subject of kind of ideas and the process of writing how did cat come about what was the process behind that why did you decide that you wanted to write a book about cycling about the Tour de France well um when I was at uni um to get me through my exams I always used to read Jilly Cooper and I absolutely loved her books that were like set around show jumping and polo and stuff like that, riders. Um, you know, it was just one of those fantastic escapist books. But I also really loved watching the tour. I always loved the Channel 4. Um, I didn't have cable TV or anything. So I just used to really, when the tour was on, I would base my day and my evenings around making sure that I watched the Channel 4 coverage. And it was the reign of um, Miguel Indran, who was my, my favourite rider. And um, I just remember thinking to myself, God, I'd have to set a book around this. And, and then when I got my publishing deal, that's why I set it. I want to set, set a book around the Tour de France. And for me, knowing that it was such a crazy, bonkers, carnival world that just travels around in this bonkers caravan around France for three and a half weeks I thought it would just be and at that stage of course we didn't have any British riders um didn't have a British team US Postal had just come into the mix and they were seen as a bit of a joke to be honest at first um and I just thought People don't know about the sport in Britain, really. You know, this is back in the day. I'm talking in the, you know, mid-90s, late-90s. Um, and I thought I'd love to do something that just sort of brings it more into the mainstream, which is why I chose to write the book through the eyes of a female um, journalist in the Salda Press. Because the two years that I did it, the Salda Press, out of however many people that were in it that I remember there were four female journalists and there was one 
female Svanya, my great friend, Emery Riley, you are in a minority and at the finish line or, you know, the village at the Depart, I'd be shoved out of the way. It's, you know, it was really quite a, I wouldn't say misogynistic, but um, they really didn't give a fig if you, you know, they, they just didn't notice you at all. Um, so I, I just found it really writing that character of Kat, who she herself is a journalist. And it it was really lovely because back then, you know, the writers are always slightly suspicious of journalists. But if you're an author, I kind of had this trade going where it was like, hi, yeah, can I interview you? And if you let me interview you, I'll give you like a cameo in the, you know, 14th chapter. And, uh, you know, you can be a super stud if you like. So I got to sit in on massage. I got to, you know, interview riders at rest. And um, it was it was a very, very privileged time. And one of the most, I think, humbling things for me is that every single year since the book came out in 1999, every year I have readers that write to me saying I'm rereading Cat. I read Cat every single year before the tour starts. And these are readers of mine who had no interest in cycling. And now they love it and they go off and they camp out on Alpe d'Huez and wait for the ride to come through. And um, yeah, you know, for me, that is the most humbling thing that my passion then became somebody else's passion. So that's cool. That's cool. Did you ever worry about how it would be received? It's obviously, you know, a pretty far removed perspective from the kind of very serious, very masculine world of cycling books in general. But did that ever cross your mind? Uh, no, it didn't, because I'm a fiction writer. I did a fictitious route. I have fictitious riders. I had certain riders that appeared in Cameo um, and it was what I wanted to do. You know, I'd read all the cycling books, all the cycling books. I'd read a lot about doping, blah, blah, blah. Um, and actually, the purpose of that book was not an expose. It wasn't meant to be salacious or scandalous. It was meant to be a love letter to not just the sport, but that particular event, which sweeps up France under its wheels and just brings out such um, joy and passion in, you know, from beautiful historic towns to tiny little one-eyed villages in the middle of nowhere. And that was the purpose of the book, was to uh, really try and bring across some of the unique, really idiosyncratic and thoroughly eccentric and quirky character of the race as it was then. I think that's really nice because at the risk of like maybe disparaging some of our colleagues, Tilda, there's a real sense sometimes of kind of some people are quite jaded and quite kind of they don't have that same kind of bright eyed passion anymore, which obviously is what drew them to it in the first place. But that's why it's really nice to see that in Cat and through like your kind of enthusiasm just for the sport and how great it is because yeah I mean I you know I'm totally unapologetic about that I mean I what I do rather than put it in exposition and remember this is a book 
based and written in the late 1990s, but rather than doing it expositionally from the author, I will have characters conversing about doping. Um, but that wasn't the point of the book. The point of the book was about, you know, a, a, a woman who is a journalist. She wants to further her career. She wants to get over a bad time in her personal life. And being in the fold of the Tour de France is really the purpose of the book is how, you know, for three and a half hermetic, crazy weeks, one summer, she learns a lot about herself and is quite literally taken on for the ride, which, you know, was my my point for the readers as well. And you touched on it a little bit, but yeah, did you say you did two, was it two whole Tour de France as you did? Yeah. And the Pru tour, the very first Pru oh, yeah. tour when it was in, in England. Yeah, the very first one. So that would have been back in 97, 1997. Mm. Yeah. What was that like? I find it a bit intimidating going to races and being in the press room and it is literally my job. So was it yeah. weird kind of going into that it was as really an outsider? And, you know, I was not in any way any kind of... Um, cycling aficionado or expert I didn't ride a bike I don't know you know I didn't know how a bike works I still did I still don't really know how a bike works I just sit there and pedal um and um but what I kept uh you know stressing to people is this isn't an expose this is a novel this is a novel to bring into a mainstream a sport which I love which at that time had very, very little exposure in the UK, um, you know, apart from half an hour on Channel 4 or an hour on Channel 4 each evening. Um, and that's what I wanted to do is to, to bring across, you know, the, the beauty of, of the race. And, I mean, obviously you weren't, tr- you didn't want to bring too much of the kind of serious doping stuff into it, but you picked probably oh. <laughs> one of the most... <laughs> infamous tours for that to go to it was actually it was a real struggle for me because it was the 1998 tour uh you know I don't even need to go into that we all know the 1998 tour um and I there was a bit of me that was thinking oh god you know this is really bad publicity for a book that I'm hoping gives good publicity to something getting bad publicity but mostly I just felt so crestfallen in myself that the sport that I loved was you know that this is this was what was happening this was what was happening so it was it was yeah it was really it's really depressing it was really depressing back then yeah yeah did it make you worry that kind of like the backlash that came off that would mean there'd be the interest in in publishing the book might have been in jeopardy a bit or was that no because interestingly enough back then people still weren't that interested in it it was like a passing news story in the UK it wasn't as you know monumentally damaging and scandalous as it was in in other countries um so it's it, it's so interesting it's a book that you know I know is my agent's least favorite book of mine um 
And yet amongst the readers, it's the one that readers return to year after year after year. I'll never forget being at Mario Cipollina's toga party in the Alps. <laughs> it was his birthday and he had a toga party in the Alps. And he, Of course he did. He came, yeah, he came like literally with gold laurel leaves. And <laughs> I, I, I just grabbed a sheet from the Hotel Ibis or wherever it was we were staying. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, do you have any like favorite anecdotes from the tours you went to? Anything? Well, I, think, I think Mario Cipollina is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you can't know, top that, Tilda. <laughs> you can't top that. You can't top that. And also having two goldfish called J- Jamaluddin Abdu Japarov, <laughs> you know, because just even learning to pronounce that name <laughs> was, uh, was pretty cool, you know. <laughs> hmm. I had a question in my head. I remember interviewing Magnus Beckstadt and doing really such a good interview. But this was way before iPhones. I don't even think I had a mobile phone. There was a computer room at the Salda Press where you could plug in online and, you know, file your copy. Because I was writing for Pro Cycling magazine. I wrote for The Independent on Sunday and I did three little pieces for uh, BBC Four's Women's Hour. but I remember interviewing him with the dictaphone and I hadn't switched it on, hadn't switched it on. And I realised about quarters of the way through and I just thought, I can't even say I haven't switched this on. So I continued knowing that this dictaphone wasn't on, just, you know, holding the dictaphone out, thinking it's not even on, it's not even on. And I can't tell him it's not even on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So you were writing for for some publications, so you really kind of embodied Kat at these tours. Yes, I did. It was a really weird, it's um, a really, it was a weird um, situation of life imitating art rather than art imitating life that I was following in this character's footsteps. I was, I was shadowing her. I was doing my work experience through my character. But you didn't have a tour romance. I didn't have a tour romance. <laughs> See, this this there just sets up time. <laughs> time when you're on the tour. I mean, you know, oh, honestly, when you finish in the evening, and then you've got like a, a half hour transfer to your hotel, and then you know, barely get the food down you before you just want to crash. Um, so yeah, there was certainly no time. But I did make lifelong friends. You know, many of whom I now cycle with. So that's that's really lovely. What kind of was the most surprising part of covering the tour for you? What, from someone who kind of, from the inception of the idea to actually being there, what what was the most surprising element? I think it was how huge the world of the Tour de France is. You know, it is a travelling world within the world. And it is meticulously organized I don't know how they do it how they manage to get everyone (laughs) around France in this bubble for for three and a half weeks um so I think that was what surprised me you you don't get a sense of that well you didn't when I used to watch it on channel four you just used to watch the cyclists but the infrastructure the putting up and taking down of the um the village at the depart near Rive um you know the the transfers to hotels I remember actually one really great um 
day, there was uh, the, the cyclist uh, Jacques Durand, and he was the Lantern Rouge, and it was the uh, Dersalp stage. And it had been a really, really grueling um, ride. And the next morning, most of the riders took the, the team coaches to, to the next day part. But he cycled. And I think it was just seeing this kind of, this mountain almost beat me yesterday. I am going to freewheel the beep out of it you know and just all the cars were all the journalist cars in and out and you know this this lone cyclist just thought yeah I'm I'm cycling down this big bugger yeah there's always so many stories that you just don't see um on the tv and I feel like cat is a really good introduction to that as an outsider and it because it feels like so well researched and you know, you don't read it thinking, oh, who's going to win the Tour de France necessarily? But it's really kind of getting into that um, environment. And the one thing I thought after I finished it, like I think when I read it the first time, I thought, oh, there must be more books like this, like fiction around the Tour de France. But it's just not been something that's kind of expanded, despite it being this huge, like cultural thing. Do you have any thoughts on like why that is? I don't know. I don't really. Um, funny enough, in my book, my favourite rider didn't win, <laughs> even though I could have made him win because I made him up. But the other rider won, as is sometimes the way in the tour. Um, so um, I don't know why there isn't more written about it, especially because it has so much more universal awareness now. And to be honest, the films that I've seen are pretty dire you know they're really full of tropes and just terribly cliched and I just I love that whole behind the scenes thing you know um it's something that really interests me and again that's what I wanted I wanted people to read that book and go oh my god I had no idea you know I had no idea that the public can get so close to the writers it's not like you know football where you're kept back in a stadium you know you could get really up close and stand by the, the team buses and um you know I, I found it very interesting as well getting to know Emma and the way she would pack the musettes for the um for the riders and she she she's an amazing amazing woman one of my favorite people in the world but she had a special baker I can't remember where this baker was, but he would make frangipan, but in a square size rather than usually frangipan comes in a big disc. But she said it was really difficult to cut portions when you when you're trying to cut from a circle. So she had this this baker, this patisserie, make her square frangipan so she could cut it much more efficiently for her riders. That's so good. Swanies are the unsung heroes of cycling. Totally. Sure. I used to go, you know, her room would be open all the time. And she and I would be in there chatting. She would have it all set up, like with cereals, snacks. And riders would just like come in, take a snack, maybe like slump on her bed, just like talk through stuff, you know, get up, go out. Um, it, it, yeah, it was, it was a really eye-opening um, glimpse into the way that the writers also I feel they weren't 
treated like sporting superstars. They were workhorses for their team leaders. And, um, you know, a lot of them, they're, they're all sharing rooms um, and they'd be in and out of Emma's room, you know, literally to have a bowl of cereal and some headspace, have a chat. Very interesting. Have you been back to the tour since the book came out? No. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I kind of, especially with the Armstrong age, I fell out of love with it for for a bit. And I didn't feel like, although I've had many opportunities to go back, I kind of feel like my t- my time in that sort of inner circle, it was a gifted and brilliant, memorable, phenomenal time, but it was in and of itself. And I was there for a purpose and I wrote my book and I thanked everyone and then you know, I I chose then to to step aside out of that bubble, um, but you know, I still I still watch it, but it doesn't hold the absolute. It doesn't have me in its thrall like it did um, prior to me writing the book. But I never thought I'd ride a bike, <laughs> and now I do. Um, speaking of kind of like. Well, if falling out of love with kind of like the men's tour and that kind of thing, um, have you followed or seen any of the women's tour de France that started this year? So pleased about that. That is fantastic. And I think, you know, going hand in hand with the phenomenal achievements in women's soccer, this is absolutely pointing the way forward to an incredibly buoyant period um, for women in sport and hopefully they will start to be given the respect the recognition and also the pay that they deserve would you ever write a book about that <laughs> or oh, cat follow-up no. I mean cat follow-up I, for the women's tour de France yeah the can be in it <laughs> I don't know I don't know if I would to be honest I don't know if I would but what I'm really keen to do is to write a radio play based on a group of people that do a long distance cycle ride for charity, because (laughs) having done them myself, um, I think it would suit radio so well, because sometimes the noises you make when you're on a bike, they would just be so perfect for radio and the kind of the way that really in crap weather on a hard ride, it's such a leveling thing. So I've, I've, I'm, I'm working on that at the moment. I'm sort of formulating my, my storyline and my characters. So I think that's probably the next bit of writing that I do that's connected with cycling. Didn't Maxine Peaks play about Beryl Burstenstar on the radio show? Oh, I don't know. Did Possibly. It? Yeah. Oh, I think it might have done. Yeah. There are a lot Cycling's of... just good for the radio, I guess. It does seem to be a developing thing, like especially with the world of podcasts, just kind of, yeah, recording on the bike and mm-hmm. getting really in amongst it is yeah. really a growing thing. And like you say, like I think we think of it as a very visual sport, but so much of it is like what's going on with between riders and things and you say to each other. Head, and all that. Mm. You know, because often it's you know 
man or woman versus mountain but sometimes you know there's that expression about mountains being in your mind and you have to really take yourself to task when you are feeling like you can't turn pedals anymore because you can you can you just need to tell yourself and uh, get rid of that demon on your shoulder that's saying you're going to grind to a halt and fall off (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just this real it's it's a very mental sport as much Mm -hmm. as it's really grueling physically and Mm -hmm. going back to kind of what you were saying earlier about doing the sportive um and making friends with someone in that it's so leveling it kind of just brings everyone into the same thing of like we're all suffering here but we're going to get through it and that's what's really nice about it and I think that's what draws people to it and I think as well I had no idea the lift that uh people standing by the roadside cheering you on can give you I had no idea how important that was it's like you know it's like a little bit of turbo suddenly propelling you forward um yeah it's a lovely way as well to see the the amazing landscapes that you're cycling through unless you're racing then you just don't know what's going on (laughs) yeah but I'll never be doing that (laughs) I think as well like in the age of I don't know Strava and King of the Mountains and Zwift and training you've got a few of those tools yes have you managed to kind of um keep keep the kind of purer side of it like the mental and just going out or do you find yourself thinking about you know your performance as it were um not really I mean I'm on Strava but then sometimes I don't I forget to Strava and then some people say well if it's not on Strava it didn't happen and I think yeah it did because I can feel it (laughs) so I try and like quite a lot um, I, I go training on my own where I live here in Hertfordshire and then it's really me against me and I I quite like that I quite like that because I can judge my fitness against knowing how that particular ride should feel um, and then when I'm out and about with my with my lovely group it's just it's just a really fun and supportive atmosphere full of laughter a bit of swearing you know some grunting everyone works really hard but you never feel isolated or vulnerable and that's important as well I wouldn't put myself at my ripe old age into situations where I felt unsafe um but I also do like to to push myself but I'm certainly not going to break any records in fact I didn't even know what that whole I on Strava there's this local legend thing and it was only one of the, my friends in my group said oh my god you're your local legend and I was like what is that what is that you know can I wear it as a badge but um, <laughs> I didn't really know you know uh what that was about so I I find all things like that it's for my own kind of geeky geeky awareness of of how I'm doing and especially when I can compare rides to times before that I've done them but I don't put too much pressure on myself 
about things like that because otherwise it can take the pleasure away from riding and for me the ride is about the pleasure I want to come back feeling exhilarated knackered and with a really good endorphin rush I think we can all relate to that with cycling for sure mm-hmm. yeah so you talked a little bit about what might be next but tell us a little bit about your, your new book which just came out in paperback last week Yes, Little Wing is out in paperback. And it was a book that kept me sane during the first lockdown because I wrote it during lockdown. Um, And it's set partly in the late 1960s and partly early in the millennium. Um, And it's set partly in Essex and partly in the Outer Hebrides. And having spent some time in the Outer Hebrides doing my research out there, I've become acquainted with the Hebridean way and my oh my that is one cycle ride that I am next planning to do to cycle the Hebridean way Um, but writing Little Wing it was a a book that basically told itself and I just it, it it was extraordinary because each day I could pretty much put my fingers on the home keys of my laptop And then it was like taking dictation from the characters. That book just poured out. The whole thing was done in about four and a half months. And the book that I'm writing now, I've kind of been writing nonstop since March 2021. I have finished it, but it's been, you know, if Little Wing was freewheeling, the one that I'm currently writing was like climbing in the wrong gear. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on a bike that needs a service <laughs> we love that great analogies <laughs> for writing <laughs> next time I've got like writer's block for an article I'm going to text children and be like today I'm climbing <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know sometimes you do just like when you are climbing and you're bonking on the bike you just think to yourself get to that tree right I've got to that tree I've got to get to that bend I've got to that bend. Okay, I'm just going to get to that, you know, sheep in the field. And you just keep going and you just keep going. And, you know, that sense of achievement that I've had on the bike at times when I thought I've got nothing left has really become a life lesson for me that um, is an analogy that makes sense to me now at other times in my life when when I'm struggling hence you know using the terminology with with writing no that's really great and it's I just think it's such a cool kind of process to go from writing about the tour with Kat to like kind of discovering a love of cycling yourself like it's something we can all relate to even people that aren't you know such avid cyclists it's kind of like you say these analogies you can relate it to so many things in life and it's um yeah it's just great to to hear how much you love it now um so yeah from the tour de france to the outer hebrides (laughs) i guess (laughs) what a journey um but thanks so much for joining us um it's been so great to hear about an iconic book that tilda and i both (laughs) love Especially like more Thank now that so we much. also work in that same, we were very much embodying cat at the Women's Tour de France this year, but not in every that. way. Tilda's looking at me like, no, we weren't. What are you talking about? We weren't. It's so funny how many times we mentioned it as well, which is like, oh, yeah, yeah. our cat life. You know, if I say that was my fourth novel and it came out in 1999. 
and there is still so much love for it um, and I find that immensely humbling and I, I just love it each July I get this massive you know influx of messages on social media or emails from readers who are yet again reading Cat and even better getting excited for, for the Tour de France. You need to do one for every grand tour and just get everybody <laughs> <laughs> good one <laughs> but yeah I think well if the women's cycling weekly readers aren't already and listeners aren't already into cat haven't read it then we're gonna make sure they do thanks so much to Freya for her time it was actually so fun to chat to her right it was so good and yeah just geeking out over what it was like following the tour that's I know it's not women's cycling, but I still did find it fascinating. <laughs> we make an exception for Freya, always. Um, yeah, I think it was a really good first interview for the podcast. Something a little bit different, someone really interesting with someone really interesting who's written a great book. And speaking of the book, we uh, mentioned earlier in the podcast that if you wanted to get your hands on a signed copy, then you needed to listen on and here we are so Tilda can you tell the listeners what they need to do if they want a signed copy of Cat delivered to their doorstep yes Freya has very kindly offered to give away a signed copy to one of our listeners so what we need you to do is answer this question what color cycling kit does Freya North's cycling team wear it's in the podcast so maybe you didn't hear it go back and listen find the answer and then send that over in an email to us to mamilrepeller at gmail.com i'll write it down in the episode description um you can be from anywhere in the world we're opening this up to everywhere since we have listeners from everywhere and the deadline is in two weeks time so that's the 21st of october so yeah email us over your answers and then we will randomly pick a winner and get back in touch to send you out your signed book you're gonna love it or if you've already read it like just put it in pride of place on the bookshelf signed copy um yeah I think that's all for the first part I think we're done here yeah we hope you enjoyed it and we shall be back very soon we will bye bye I have turned the of this